I was at an event. It was actually an event for uh, Hope Learning Center on Friday, and I heard a joke that you hear variations of this, and I don't remember the exact variation I heard, but it went something along these lines. And an angel appeared in some setting, or I, I, I think it was an angel, and it really doesn't matter. Let's just say it was an angel. An angel appeared to this couple, and they this couple was, was in their 60s. They had been uh, faithful together and, uh, and um, walking with the Lord and serving Him in sacrificial ways. They'd done without a lot, of, a lot in life. And, and the angel comes and, and uh, commends them and said, God has sent me to grant you each one request. What is one thing that at this point in your life you would ask Him for? And the wife speaks first, and she's, she's thinking, you know, there's much that we've done without, and now we're approaching our retirement years, and Lord, we don't have a lot. And so she asks the angel, um, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice we've made. We haven't made all these preparations. If you would give us several million dollars for our retirement account, and he does, just with a wave of his hand, all of a sudden, she is a millionaire, several times over. Wow. And the husband's like, wow. He's, he's got his smartphone. He's with Forrest. He's got the smartphone out. He's able to check the bank balance as well as BP Connect. And he sees already the money's there. And uh, so the angel turns to him and, sir, what would you like to ask? And now his imagination is going. And he looks at his wife and he says, I would, I would like to be married to a wife who is 30 years younger than me. And the angel waves his hand and just like that, he's no longer 60, he's 90. Be careful what you ask for, right? But that's what I wanted to talk about today out of Colossians chapter 1. That, that um, There's a story like that in the Bible. It's the story of, of Elisha the prophet and Naaman the leper. Elisha the prophet um, is, is known even beyond Israel. And there's a little girl in Israel that tells this, this Syrian general named Naaman. He's a leper. Nobody can heal. And there's, there's no healing possible for him. And, and so this little girl, she knows of Elisha, the prophet, and she tells her master, there's a prophet in Israel who could heal my master. And so he goes and he gets the blessing of the king of Syria to go and take all these treasures with him and to go to Egypt and to seek out Elisha, the prophet. And he comes to the prophet and he asks the prophet, he says, I need what you have. I need to be healed. And, he's, and um, so... The prophet tells him what to do, and he doesn't want to do it at first because this is going to stretch his faith. This is going to prove his faith. For him to go and to actually dip in the Jordan River seven times, he's actually identifying himself with the God of Israel and to some extent even with Israel. And he didn't really want to do this, and yet he does. He yields his thinking to God's will and ways, and he comes up the seventh time, and he is miraculously healed, and he is overjoyed, and he wants to give back, and he comes back to the prophet's house, and he's, he wants to give all these riches, all this wealth, all this reward, and Elisha says, no, I don't need any of that. Sends him on his way. And um, um, so, the, so the Syrian general, he comes to the prophet, he says, I need what you have. Well, and he gets it. And... and the, uh, he offers all these riches. Elisha says no. But Elisha's servant, Elisha's servant, he's thinking to himself, 
I would want what that Syrian has. He came wanting what Elisha had. The servant wanted what he had. And so the prophet says, fine. And the servant becomes a leper. He gets what the Syrian had. Again, be careful what you want. Be careful what you wish. Be careful what you ask for. In, in Colossians chapter 1, we're, we're, we're reminded of this in Paul's prayer for the church. This is still, in a some sense, it's a bit introductory still. Paul is going to step next into very deep and serious teaching. But first he has given thanks for them, and now he's praying for them. And in this language of worship, of, of, of thanksgiving and prayer, we see something of God's heart and God's desire for his people. We learn something about praying for one another. We learn something about what it is we should ask for. And while there's several verses and it seems like a string of things, there is really one thing that Paul asks for them. There's one thing he asks for them, and that one thing that he asks is for a particular purpose, so that they will do something with that, and then that is unpacked with three more descriptions. So that's why you've got kind of a stepped outline in your bulletin this morning. The one thing that Paul would ask for them is that they would be filled with, so that they could pursue God's will and God's ways. That they would be filled with the knowledge of God and His will. So that they could then step into what is true. And what stepping into God's will, stepping into God's ways, what living in light of that, walking in that looks like is being fruitful and growing. Being strengthened by His power and giving thanks for what God has done. Fruitfulness, strengthening, thankfulness. Those are all the results, the descriptors of what walking in light of being filled with God's will and God's ways looks like. It's, it's not unlike Paul is asking God the Father, Lord, that they would know what you want for them. And in that, they would know you and walk with you. So as we, as we read then Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. Let's stand together as we read. And if you're following along, this is the one time you can get your phone out again. Not to text, but if you're using that for your Bible. And if you're using the church Bible in front of you, we're on page 983. Colossians chapter 1 and verses 9 to 14. And so, Paul says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Praying for you this. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. And giving thanks 
to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. That is, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We do thank you for what you have done for us, Lord. We thank you for the reality that in your forgiveness we stand in a new identity belonging to you through Jesus our Savior and being now heirs of your kingdom. Lord, you have delivered us from the authority of the ruler of this world. We answer now only to you. We can do that, Lord, because you strengthen us by your own spirit. You work within us for your own will. Father, you you have given us new life. You have shown yourself to us. You bear your fruit within us. You desire most of all that we would know you. So, Father, as we look to your word this morning, cause us, Lord, to lean into this one thing, to know your will in a, in a spiritual wisdom, in a spiritual understanding that is beyond us so that we might walk in it, live in it, show that to the people around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the one thing he would ask, more than anything else, what would you ask for? Paul asked for this, that you would be filled, filled to the fullness, filled to overflowing with a knowledge of his will. And he describes that two ways. He describes that in all spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight. That you would have a new way of looking at things. The word wisdom has to do with seeing things from God's perspective. It means seeing things as they really are, not merely from the distorted or limited lens, the uncorrected vision or the tunnel vision that we have, but to see things as they really are. That's wisdom. To understand in spiritual wisdom. And spiritual insight is a new understanding, a fuller understanding, a fuller perception of what is really true. I get it in a way that I didn't understand it before. I've heard that before. I've known that. I've acknowledged it. But now, now I get it. It's the light came on. That's what's going on in those two words. To, to have a, a new world view, a new way of looking at things than I did before. And then the other side of that is by God's Spirit as well to understand what I'm looking at. That's what Paul includes when he's talking about to be filled with a knowledge of his will. It means seeing things from a perspective other than my own and it means understanding what it is that I'm now seeing based on the light of God's Word. Knowing God's will in the midst of the patterns and practices that we're used to, that we walk in and live out merely out of habit is terribly important. We cannot take the moments, the hours, the days, the choices in life that God grants us, we cannot take that for granted. We do need God's will. Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, this can be true in the very big decisions of life. 
Let me give you an example of that. For us as a church, for us as a church family, we have been making lately some really, really big decisions. Decisions that, that, that go from our past and how many of us have lived together and lived out church and body life together in a facility and facilities stretched across this property. And yet, going forward from there, looking ahead to the next generation as people 50 and 70 years ago did for us, and looking ahead to new facilities that will serve those next generations in the same kinds of ministry. And what will that look like? And what will that cost? And how will we ever pull that off? And so, a plan was developed, a plan was sought, and wisdom prayed for, insight given, plans were laid, and even how we go about it, how we start, will win the permitting is, is, is in place. And when, when the money for the stage is provided, that's when we'll do that. We're not going to go in debt to finish something. We're not going to leave something that can be started and then damaged and ruined because we're not able to, to protect it, to close it in, to, to preserve that which has been done. We set that before the elders. We set that before the members as well back in November. When God provides the permitting, we have the permissions from the society around us. When we have the means, when God has provided for us to take the next step, the next phase, we'll do it. And the membership together with almost full unanimity said, yes, that's what we're doing together. And then the permitting was completed. And then, just a week or two ago, a week and a half ago, something like that, the funding to complete that first stage of building and closing in the building and protecting from the elements, not finishing that we can return to and use the building, not the insides done, but the outsides all completed and closed in. That was provided as well. And so now it's time to go forward. And we had an elders meeting. And the analogy that was given, I think it was a brilliant analogy, it's when you're about to step off the curb with children's hands in yours, what do you do? You look left, because that's where the traffic's coming through first. And then you also look right, because halfway out there, you're going to get traffic from the other direction. And then just before you step off the curb, what do you do one more time? You look left again, in case you miss something, or unless the tra in case the traffic has changed from the last time you looked. So we had looked left, we had looked right. We had together as elders, and we with the full membership, we had been through this decision already, but now it's time to fish or cut bait, so they say. What do we do? And we looked left again. And we said, really, there's three options that we could do. We will go forward as we have already um, been given a mandate by the membership to do. Or we could pause a year. and We could say, you know, God has provided this. Maybe this is what we're supposed to build with. And we're going to pause for a bit and we're going to reduce the scope of the plans in order to build and complete whatever we can with the money that God has already provided. That would be a legitimate option. Or we could say, no, we're going to pause and we're going to wait until all of the funding is provided to not only close in, but to actually build the building. This is a very real discussion, and I can tell you it was a long discussion. 
I jokingly, knowing, seeing the agenda and uh, the few items that were on it, we, I left the house just after 6 for our 6.30 meeting. I jokingly told Julie, I'll try to be home before midnight. And I was not. Because it was a long, it was a long conversation. We need to know as we look left, is God leading us together? And that is found in that council of wisdom. One of the reasons I value a plurality of elders is it's never Bob's dream or ambition or desires. It's how is God leading this group of men together? And we get, we get a confirmation of his leading when, when all these guys, and we each, are, we each are subject to our own perspectives that we have to yield to God's will. And we're able, with all the different perspectives and some seen dangers or warnings that others might not perceive, and getting all that on the table and then being able to confirm, yes, Having looked left, yes, we are going forward together in this plan as we have had, as we believe we have God's blessing in. And we will continue to trust him for the finishing of it. But it's important to take the time to be sure, Lord, what would you have us to do? We need your will. There's a lot of younger folks in our church that are contemplating marriage looking forward to marriage, wanting to be married, and asking the question, Lord, and this is a very specific, this is not the kind of answering of God's will that you get in chapter and verse, is it? Lord, who should I marry? Wouldn't it be easier if God just told you? God gave you a name, an email, maybe a phone number you could text. Wouldn't that be easy? Well, that's what dating apps are for. I'm sorry, God is not a dating app. However, be careful what you ask for. Maybe who should I marry is not the question you should ask. Maybe that's not the will of the Lord you should be seeking. Maybe it's what kind of a spouse should I be looking for. Lord, maybe it's what kind of a spouse would you prepare and grow me to be. Maybe that's what you should be asking for in his will. We do want to be careful what we ask for. Seeking God's will is very important. Should I do this or should I do that? Some, some things are very clear to us in Scripture. Other things are not. Sometimes it is a matter of a clear choice. There is right or wrong. God in his word has spoken to us concerning the morality, the right or wrong of it. This is God's word. It is not ambiguous. My mentor told me years ago, 90% of God's will is simply doing what he's already said in his word. That's 90% of it. Now, it doesn't mean that's easy. I just said knowing his will on 90% of it is very clear to us if we'll take the time to look. Now, doing it is another matter entirely. We'll get to that. Sometimes it's very, very clear. Sometimes there's a bit of ambiguity. Sometimes it's not a matter of right and wrong. Sometimes it's a matter of better or lesser. Sometimes it's a matter of what is the inclination of my heart? What is the direction or the trajectory rather than this is right and this is wrong? Sometimes we like to paint things as, as clearly this or that. When No, there's a whole range of ambiguity there. There can be a godly ambiguity. But on that line, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would I follow more the mind of Christ here? How would I do less what I would be inclined to do because... 
well, I like beef jerky, as compared to what God would have me to do and what would show more of him in the decision. We pursue God's will and God's ways. The best prayer you can ask, Lord, would you fill me with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding for a purpose. You see, the knowing is for the doing. The knowing is not for the knowing. The knowing is not merely for vain philosophy debates like the Greek folks in this Colossae church would like. Or maybe even pitting one rabbi against another about what's permissible versus what is not, as some of the Jewish traditional folks in this congregation would have been used to in their past. The baggage creeps up on us. But we would ask God to show us, to give us, to fill us with a knowledge of his will for the whole purpose of stepping into it. That's Paul's prayer. There's a purpose in what he asked for. He asked that this will, they will have this. They'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of it. Now, worthy isn't a manner deserving of it. Worthy is a manner appropriate to it, fitting to it, suitable to it. Walking in a manner that fits God's will that is appropriate to it, that lines up with it, that our lives would reflect the will of the mind of God our Father. We have the opportunity to walk in a way that fits God's will, to walk in a way thus in His will that is fully pleasing to Him. I suggested to the kids, what you could ask for is what do you know that I need? Could you give me that? You remember Solomon's prayer? Lord said, I will, give you, I will give you one thing that you ask for. God gave him that. And he said, Lord, give me wisdom. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for other things. He said, Lord, give me wisdom to lead your people. And God, God gave him wisdom and God gave them the other things that he did not ask for that he might have asked for himself instead. God blessed him abundantly beyond his expectations because he was careful what he asked for. He asked to know God's will so that he could, and only if Solomon had done this more, only if Solomon then had stepped more into and continued in God's will instead of wandering into his own will along the way and bringing sorrow to God's heart. When we have the privilege, we have a unique privilege as the children of God, as our own children have a unique privilege or opportunity to break our hearts or to give us great delight. Don't our children have both those opportunities? They can break our hearts or they can give us delight that doesn't compare with anything else around us. We have the, the opportunity, we have the privilege of delighting God, of being fully pleasing to Him. By 
not only knowing his will, but what we know about his will. And the glimpses that we get, that which we do so far perceive, and this is an ongoing, growing in thing. It's not a, it's not a, a brain dump all at once transferred in, but as we grow in our understanding of God's will, as we gain new insight and as we grow in wisdom, as we step into that, there is a pleasing of our Father. There is a delighting of our Father. This is what it looks like. There are three now modifications. Three, if you looked at the Greek grammar, this is how you get there from here. There are three, there are, actually there's two participles in parallel and then there's another participle and then there's another participle. You don't care about participles. But there are these three things that describe or define what walking worthy of him looks like. And the first is to be fruitful and grow. To be bearing fruit and increasing. To be bearing fruit and increasing. This is in, in, in verse 10 again, the second half of the verse. Walking in a manner worthy that is fully pleasing to him, which is bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's an ongoing thing. It's a continuing thing. That in the midst of our bearing fruit according to his will, we know him more. We grow in knowing him. Now this, this, this fruitfulness, this increasing, this is coming from God and not from us. You remember Paul's letter to the Corinthians when he's talking about there's Paul, there's Apollos, there's Peter. And of course, humans as we are, we rally after our own favorite champion and some follow Peter and some follow Paul and some follow Apollos. And, and he says, you know, what are we? we are, we're just men. We're servants of Christ. One, one plants, one sows the seed, another comes along and waters that seed. But nothing happens out of any of that unless... God gives the increase. Increasing. Bearing fruit and increasing. How is it that in the work that God gives us, the good works he set before us, how is it that we bear fruit? Bearing fruit primarily for Paul is not outcomes. It is character. It is character that are played out in outcomes, certainly, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. It's these, this growth of godly character in us. That's the fruit that God is growing. He, I think, uses good works to grow the fruit. And then the, the fruit is evident in the works, but it's all about how God is growing and bearing his fruit. And it's not the fruit of Bob. It's not a fruit of our own efforts. It's not the fruit of our great discipline. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul tells them, having begun in the Spirit, you were born again by the Spirit of the living God. Paul writes to the Galatians, he said, having begun in the Spirit, why would you try to be perfected, finished by the flesh? That, that if we, another way that he, he describes this is in, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires, the lusts of the flesh. So, tied in with this being fruitful and increasing in knowing God is being strengthened or empowered by God's glorious might. This is the work of the Spirit within our lives. This is not a self-discipline. We are not called to a life of self-denial and self-discipline based on our own strength. We are called to yield ourselves to God's will 
by the strengthening of his spirit. To walk worthy in a way that brings God delight is to be bearing fruit, being strengthened by God's empowering, strengthened with all power by his glorious might. It's just like in the Old Testament. When God's people won a victory, they won a victory not by trusting in chariots, not by trusting in horses, not by trusting in the military might of the day, but by trusting in the Lord their God. And when David takes on a giant Goliath based on God's promises that when they trust him, their enemies will flee before them. God, uh, David, the shepherd boy, takes on a giant in all of his armor and weaponry with five smooth stones and a sling. And the first stone sinks right into the giant's head and he goes down. And that's not because David's a good shot. That's not the point at all. This is not a biblical basis for your children to be out this afternoon practicing their slingshots. That's not the takeaway from this. The takeaway from this isn't to be brave and courageous and look what you can do. The takeaway is you can trust God. God will give you the victory. Be empowered, strengthened with all power by His glorious might. That's in contrast to what Paul's going to poke at later in Colossians chapter 2. I said the prayer is setting up what's coming. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 and 24, he's going to again deal with this background. There's, there's Greek background folks in this church. There's Jewish traditional background folks in this church. And he's going to tell, he's going to speak to both of them. He's, he's going to say your asceticism, your self-denial, your denying of things that your human body wants and craves after. Or you, you Jewish religious folks, your traditions from the past and the rules of the rabbis that you piled up on top of God's law and the checklist that you have, you have um, developed out of that saying don't handle don't touch this or that neither of those your self-discipline and denial your following um, deliberately and devotedly the religious traditions of your heritage neither one of those he's going to say are of any value against the indulgence of the flesh your rules, your self-discipline are not enough to hold back the sinful, willful desires of the flesh, our natural humanity that rage up inside of us. And what are we going to do? What is of any good? Well, Jesus points to it. In the garden, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And then those words to his disciples that, are, that there's this beautiful, terrible contrast there. He comes back to his disciples whom he asked to, to, to watch and pray with him and they've all fallen asleep. And Jesus' words to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our humanity is weak. What am I then going to do? If in that moment when Jesus himself is right there asking them and then is just right over there in front of them praying, they can't stick to it. It's not because they don't want to. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the message of Romans 7. Do you have the problem I have? The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, yet again, I find myself doing. Does anybody else have that problem, or is that just me? Okay, there's some honest ones among us. 
Yeah, we have that problem, and yet Romans, Romans chapter 8 gives us the answer to it, doesn't it? Well, Romans 8 as a whole gives us the answer, but let me poke at just a couple of verses. Romans 8 and verse 4, that, that the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, our human ability, but according to the Spirit. He says in, 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 in Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, God, by His empowering, strengthening Spirit, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells in you. And that's what walking worthy of the gospel looks like. To walk in light of the life that God has given us is a fruit-bearing life. It is a life that relies on God's strength. And i got to flesh that out a little bit, what that looks like. Bear with me. It's a spirit-empowered life that in the midst of, and he says, uh, we do this um, um, for all enduring, remaining under a pressing weight, or for long-suffering. That pressure to give in, that pressure to cave, that pressure to go a different direction. Think of temptation. In the midst of temptation, when it comes, when the idea begins to circulate in my head, there's the time when we need to call upon God to empower us to be able to stand and to take up the way of escape that he does provide. That when the temptations of the enemy or the temptations of my own desire are swirling around in my head, that's the time, the very time, when I need to talk to God instead. When I come to God in prayer in the midst of that temptation, at the start of it, I know where this will go. I know that if I toy with this, it's going to sink its hooks into me and it's going to lead to this, which is going to play out like that. I know where it's going. And I almost feel myself helpless to stop that train. But the way to stop the train is right at the front of it. When those things begin to swirl around in my head, that's the point to talk to God instead and say, God, you know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm wanting. You know how I would like to give into this. This is the desire that I have, and yet it is, it is against your will. I know what your will is, so Father, would you right now empower me, strengthen me by your Spirit to resist the temptation, to flee it instead, to turn away from it. Lord, show me the way of escape. Lord, give me the strength to take it. Right then when the idea is swirling your head, that's the time to talk to God instead. You'll be amazed at what confession of our own sinfulness in our will and our need for God and our asking God for his empowering in that moment. You'd be amazed at what it does, how it changes that moment for you. But then to take that way of escape. Paul says to flee immorality, to flee temptation. Do a Joseph. Leave the building. Don't just say, no, no, I really shouldn't. Not today. You know, your master might come home. No, you flee temptation. You run out. It doesn't matter what you have to leave behind, what you have to give up in order to get out of it, to get away from it, to create separation. The trouble is not the temptation. The trouble is I don't call on God in the midst of it that I don't follow up on his way of escape. He does empower us to remain under 
He empowers us to endure. And the third piece of what walking worthy looks like is the fruit-bearing life. It is a being empowered by His Spirit life. It is a thankful life. It is a giving thanks for what God has made true for you. It is what God has done. Look at verses 12 to 14 again. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share an inheritance of the saints in the light. That inheritance... That reminds us of Old Testament Israel. That reminds us of 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 a picture, a lesson we've seen before. You've heard me say before that the story of the Bible is a story of garden to garden. That God created us in a garden with him to be in relationship with, to enjoy that relationship together. But it wasn't a couple of chapters. And we went our own way. Oh, the garden looks nice, but God's you know, being kind of fussy about the fruit, and I want what I want for me. And I'm going to decide what I can do and what I don't want to do. And that's the story of humanity. And it's a story of exile and separation away from God and his garden. And the misery that follows. And yet the rest of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 is the story of God restoring humanity back to the end of the book when again the redeemed, the forgiven, the restored by God's grace live in a new garden with him. But you know there's another garden along the way. In Exodus chapter 12, God redeems Israel out of bondage and slavery in miserable Egypt. And he takes them through a wilderness into a new land, a promised land, a land that he will take them to, a land that he will lead them into, a land that he will give them, not by their strength, but by his power. The walls of Jericho fall down, not because of the resonating of the chords of the music. That wasn't it at all. God did that by his power for them. And if they would trust him and follow him and walk with him and believe his promise for them, they would have this beautiful land in the midst of the rest of the nations. It would be a land flowing with milk and honey. It would be a land uh, planted with gardens and orchards which they did not plant and houses that they did not build. It would be a fruitful, prosperous land. It would be a garden given to them that they would live in and the rest of the nations around them would look in and see what God had done. The unraveling of the story is because they didn't believe God. They decided to go their own way, to choose their own garden, to make it on their own by their own strength and ability, and it all unravels very, very quickly. But now God again has planted a garden. And there he is, watch it, bearing fruit. And it is not by our ability, it is not by our strength, it is not by our self-discipline, but God will bear fruit in the garden of his people. And others will look in on the fruitfulness of God's garden called the church, and they will say, look what God is doing, that God is true, God is real, because they see the difference in the change that God has made in your life, which they know and you know you could not do on your own. Because God has rescued us from sin's power and authority over us. He has transferred us. He has delivered us from the authority or the control of darkness. Ephesians 2 tells us that we once all all lived according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. We once served him. We were under his authority and we are under his authority no longer Jesus has delivered us. 
He has instead transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has given us a whole new identity, a whole new standing that we now live out. We live out this new life as heirs of his coming kingdom already, anticipating God's promised future. There is a transformation, a change of our new identity in the kingdom of the son. And he has released us from the claims of the guilt of our sin. He has redeemed us in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. So what if, what if knowing and walking in his will, thus delighting God in bearing fruit, experiencing victory by the Holy Spirit's power within us, praising God for what he has done, is also how we will live out joyful worship that Paul has entered into in his prayer for us. And as we live in this worship of bearing fruit and knowing God in the empowering of his Spirit, and in thanksgiving for the gospel, that in our lives as a testimony, some of those around us will know that the grace of God is true because they've seen some of it in you. Let's pray. Father, it is the grace of God that is true. And so it is not up to us except to believe you and then to yield our will to you. And Lord, that's what then what we'd ask again this morning. To know your will is to first of all know your desire for each one to be saved, redeemed, restored into relationship with you by believing you concerning Jesus our Savior that he took our guilt. In him is the forgiveness of our guilt, our sin, our shame. Father, that is your will. And this morning, Lord, I would pray that there would be one here who would say, God, I believe you concerning Jesus, that yes, he died for me to restore me into relationship with you. God, I believe you concerning Jesus as Savior. And Lord, then... Continue to show us your will. The wonderful reality that you have for us to live in, to walk in. And Father, as delightful as it looks to us, we know we can't do it. So strengthen us by your Spirit. Lord, teach us all the more as children to lean on you. And Lord, that we would strengthen our souls and those around us by rehearsing in thankfulness the gospel of what you have done for us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.